Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Project Life Mastery Podcast. I'm Stephen James, founder of ProjectLifeMastery.com, internet entrepreneur and life coach with a passion for living life to the fullest and fulfilling my potential as a human being. My purpose for this podcast is to be a powerful and passionate example of the unlimited possibilities that life offers for any of us that has the courage to commit ourselves to life mastery while sharing ideas, concepts, and strategies that can help you master every area of your life from your health, mindset, emotions, business, finances, relationships, and spirituality. Now, if you're someone like me that is hungry to take their life to the next level, then you're in the right place. Welcome and let's begin. Hey everyone, this is Stephen James from Project Life Mastery and I'm here right now at SellerCon in Las Vegas and I'm sitting next to Gary Nealon, an incredibly successful e-commerce seller and entrepreneur. Uh, He's built one of the biggest brands in the kitchen niche, a business known as rtacabinetstore.com that he built to 40 million a year in sales. Uh, recently sold that business as well. And today we're going to dive a bit into, into Gary's story and how he built his business and built it to a point uh, of that magnitude, but also have him share with you some of the things he's learned along the way. So Gary, thanks for taking the yeah, time, man. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Do you mind sharing with people just a little bit about yourself, how you got started in e-commerce and, and um, I guess building the different, you've been involved in many businesses and yeah. brands, but. Uh, interestingly enough, my first kind of dive into the e-commerce space was an epic failure. So okay. uh, yeah, before I started the RTA cabinet store, I actually um, had the great idea that I was going to buy a business. This was before I knew anything about sort of e-commerce and everything. Um, that business was right around the, when the economy turned in the United States and ended up filing bankruptcy on that within like a year. So it was wow. kind of a really big blow to the system. Uh, and then I... Do you, is that mainly because of the economy challenges that was, came with that or just maybe time, not knowing what to do? Bad or? numbers. Um, I didn't know exactly how to buy the business, so when I bought it, it was on thin margins to begin with, and then it just, economy, what ended up happening was it was in the dollar space market, so um, everything was made of plastic. So when the economy went to the crapper, um, price of fuel went up, fuel makes plastic, so our cost of goods out of China ended up going uh, up by like 30 or 40%, so it was almost, not, wasn't viable anymore. Um, but from that, I knew that I never really wanted to work for anybody again, so I went in and I ended up launching RTA Cabinet Store. Um, I originally approached my business partner's uncle at the time who was um, a vendor of cabinets and asked him if I could build him a website. So I really just wanted to have some experience in developing websites again. Um, and he was like, you know what, these will never sell online. If you want to do it, you can do it yourself. So I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. So I decided to, to launch the website myself and you know, 11 years later ended up having a healthy exit on a $40 million business. Wow. And so you primarily, I guess, were selling, was it kitchen cabinets? Yep. So our primary business was uh, kitchen cabinets. Uh, we also had a line of like bathroom vanities and different things for other rooms of the house, but primary market was just standard wood cabinets that went in your kitchen and nothing right. fancy, nothing crazy, uh, all stock sizes, so it wasn't like a custom program or anything like that. Uh, everything was coming out of China, so um, we had 
usually about 15 different styles. Um, we were pulling from different vendors, so we had a, a pretty good network distribution of dropshippers and things like that. Wow. And I can imagine there's probably logistically some challenges with that kind of business. Like yeah. one of them, the weight and the shipping of the product. Was that, because you know, a lot of people, for example, that are brand new sellers, they're more looking for a product that's light and small. Yeah. You know, no, I, I arguably went with the worst product you could possibly sell online, <laughs> because like you said, yes, the weight of it, um, the complexity of it. So it's not like selling an individual product where they could buy one or buy two. Our average order might have been 40 to 50 pieces that all had to fit together in one space and all the measurements had to be accurate. So there were a lot of logistical challenges from both um, the buying process and what fit together and then also the logistics of shipping it, making sure it arrives safely. Um, you know, it's a natural product, so if it gets damaged, you can't really fix it or do anything with it, you basically have to replace the whole cabinet. So yeah, there, there, was, a, there was kind of a learning curve the first year or two of like how to handle all those challenges and everything that came up. But, uh, we definitely put some good systems in place for that. Yeah, and it, I, I assume this wasn't a product that you just started on Amazon. It was more building your own website, your own e-commerce store. Then did yeah. Amazon kind of fit into that, or how? Did, what was kind of the yeah, strategy, so the way you sold? It's interesting. So uh, uh, most of your, your audience and everything probably started on Amazon. Um, we did use Amazon, but we used it kind of in a different way. So uh, we started with an e-commerce store. Uh, believe it or not, our, our first traffic source was Craigslist. We were actually oh, wow. posting ads all around the country, driving traffic in. Um, but once we got to a scale, a scale to a certain point, I knew that we had to diversify um, our traffic, so we moved into paid advertising, obviously. Uh, but then we also looked at Amazon. And the way we were using Amazon was we knew that Amazon was really good at driving traffic, so we said, how do we leverage that to grab those leads and bring them to our site? So what we did was we looked for products that matched sort of our clientele's um, profile. So like we looked for accessories for a kitchen or accessories for a bathroom. Uh, it wasn't products that we wanted to sell, but we'd put them on Amazon, capture that lead, and then bring them over to our site. So we were kind of using Amazon for what they were really good at was driving traffic. We weren't necessarily worried so much about making the profit off of that, but we'd get them into our ecosystem and then pull them over to the cabinet site. Right. So was there a way that you would, you would transition from that, the, you know, the customer of buying whatever that product was, to, to getting on your list or um, you know, yeah, getting so we, them in your funnel? So initially... Um, we looked for big, bulky products because we knew that they would be expecting communication from us. So we'd call, have a conversation with them. Once we established that, we actually started doing a kitchen giveaway contest. So we figured if we can put in an insert or something like that that would allow us to then capture them, pull them over, which you know a lot of people have tried in different ways, uh, which is why we looked for specific products that we knew kind of lended themselves to the next step in remodeling, um, remodeling their kitchen. Um, our kitchen giveaway contest ended up being our most uh, profitable and largest traffic source even like after we moved off of even when we kept going with Amazon so we used that for every lead gen that we could whether it was Facebook Instagram and everything else because we knew it was if we can get somebody that's interested in the kitchen then they're probably gonna buy within the next year or two so was it you just had an insert that said win a kitchen and then uh, you know go to this website put in your name and email or was that yep. how you would get them yep very cool we do um, you know sort of the ask method formula where we'd have multiple questions to segment them out after that you know, like how quickly are you ready to buy, what's your budget, and those kind of things uh, to get them into that ecosystem and then have those autoresponder sequences that can kind of split them up. Wow, that's incredibly smart. Um, and so I guess with Amazon, you didn't really care whatever front-end sales that you get on that. It was just mainly a back-end strategy. That's what you guys care Exactly, about. yeah. So we, we didn't focus on the front-end profit, even though it was profitable for us. Um, we looked at it as, okay, that could be a real easy lead gen tool. Get them used to our buying cycle. Let them, you know, let them have a really good experience. And then when we start transitioning them over, we could remind them, hey, you had a really good experience on that product. Now let's talk about a bigger product, which is, you know, because our average ticket sale can be anywhere from five thousand to up to fifteen thousand. So, 
there's a lot more of a commitment for them than just buying a $100 or $300 item. So just getting them that ecosystem and allowing them to get comfortable with this. Very cool. And so I, I know one thing you're, you're talking about here at SellerCon is about content marketing and um, you know, building a brand and everything. So do you mind sharing just a little bit about, you know, I think a lot of people they look at, I'm just gonna sell a product on Amazon, but they don't look at other ways to market their product um, and build a relationship with people, which is what content does. But do you mind just kind of touching a little bit on content, why you think it's so important for, for sure. sellers, and, and maybe we can go into some of the strategies that you guys do. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, uh, when I talk to a lot of Amazon sellers, they're like, you know, they don't realize that they're already creating content, whether it's their sales copy, or, or all these other avenues, uh, and that's content that can be redistributed in other places. So we really use content for two different things. One, build backlinks to whatever source is your main revenue driver, whether it's your Amazon listings, your blog, or YouTube, or, or wherever you're really getting your most of your traffic from. Um, but then also get eyeballs out there in places that they may not see it. So. Um, you know, Amazon's really good at driving traffic from paid ads and all their other places, but there's people that can absorb your content or that are asking questions on blogs, forums, um, you know, Reddit, Medium, all these places, even you know, if they're looking on Pinterest or looking on Instagram. These are all people that are out there searching for your product or may just stumble across your product. So why not take those assets that you already have and put them out in the world? Uh, and when you do that, you're actually building backlinks and you're getting eyeballs on it from other places that you might not. Yeah, and just, just so everyone's clear, the purpose of backlinks is primarily for the search engine rankings. Is that primarily what you guys are using it for, or are you also getting some organic traffic? Uh, so we do get a little bit of traffic from it, depending on the types of products and the types of content. Um, but it even, what we did find out was that, even with our Amazon listings, if we started driving links back to them, it was naturally helping our organic links grow, so, or our organic ranking grow. It didn't have as you know, a massive impact like it does on Google, but it still had a little bit of a booster. So. Um, once we started building up our site, we were like, why don't we do that with our Amazon listings? And we did see a, a response from it. So we started building these backlinks and creating this, basically a spider web all over the place of all these links touching each other from all the, you know, whether it's images, audio, video, all this stuff going right back to one of our content pieces. Wow. And then in terms of content, like what, uh, what type of content would, I guess, you create for the niche that you're in? Was it more related to the product, like cabinets, or was it more related to kitchen uh, you know, kitchen type stuff or... I can tell you, after about three years, it became really hard to write content about kitchens. Right. <laughs> uh, so I had to come up with like different ways of creating content. So what we started doing was looking on like forums, blogs, specifically for that niche. Uh, we started looking at, uh, started tracking all of our customer questions because we realized if people are asking these questions, there's probably a need for a piece of content about it. Uh, so our customer service would actually create a log of all the questions that came in in a week. We'd look at, see if there's any synergies where we can create maybe a top five or something like that. And that would create our content for the week. Um, the other sort of thing that we've started figuring out too is that uh, we'd start looking at competitor listings on Amazon. And if people are complaining about a certain thing about their product, that was a natural thing for us to talk about about our products and how it doesn't do it. Right. So we would create a piece of content about the, the worst you know, reviews on other people's products and how it doesn't apply to ours. So there's a lot of ways that you can take what's already out in the marketplace or what you're already seeing every day and just spinning it into these little pieces of content that you're putting out there in different places. And did you guys do, I guess, a lot of keyword research to see what people are searching for related to your product and then just continue creating content around that too? We did. We didn't focus too much on the keywords because with Google, um, they've kind of shifted to this intention-based search. So it's, you know, years ago, you used to be able to just say kitchen cabinets, try to rank for it, and that would drive all your traffic. But just by natural progression, the way people are starting to search now, they'd be looking for the best kitchen cabinets made of X, or you know, best more white kitchen cabinets. specific. 
Yeah, so you're, you're starting to see searches that are much more long tail and more of a question than it is like the specific keyword. So we started creating content around that, like what questions are being asked in the marketplace? Let's create an answer to that so that when they are searching for that on Google, we're naturally ranking higher and it's kind of boosting those sub pages within our site. And I think that's really important because the, the content builds that relationship and that trust. And by the time when they consume your content, you know, you're not really competing as much with all the other products on Amazon because you know, they're consuming the content, they're like, oh, wow, this is great, thank you. Then you're just direct linking right to whatever the product might be or capturing the lead. And then, of course, you can further build that relationship with them. But exactly. I think also the benefit is you're really learning the customer. You know, you're yep. learning their questions, their objections, who they are, the whole customer avatar. And that just helps you, be, I guess, to, to target them better and build that relationship. It, it touch on kind of the avatar aspect of it. Um, that was one thing that we figured out years ago that kind of changed the game for us was that, uh, you know, we always just assumed it was like a very broad, like we're going broad. We just want as many people on the site as possible. But when we really dove into the avatar and figured out like who are we actually selling to, we figured out we actually had five different people we were selling to. Those five different people were buying for very different reasons and had very different languages in terms of what they were looking for. So when we started doing custom landing pages specific to those customers, it pretty much changed the game for us. Oh, wow. um, we did, you know, custom tailored email campaigns, landing pages. Our cost per acquisition dropped by about 40%, and our conversion rates went through the roof because we were literally talking in the language and the verbiage that they wanted to hear. So instead of using broad terms, niching that down, it took a lot of work to kind of create those campaigns, but once we did, it changed the game for us. Well, I love that you said it was five because a lot of people think that it just has to be one. Right. But I mean, it's more work obviously doing for five different, but if you know those are the, the core you know, market for you and it makes sense to do that, so. And it's even become easier, I would say today than it was when we started doing that because there's all these services that do email pens, you know, there's Facebook look-like audiences, there's uh, machine learning that can do all this stuff for you that whereas back then we also, we had to literally just ask surveys and try to figure all this stuff yeah. out. So uh, I, I love it now when everybody comes to me like with, a, with an audience and they're just like, we're not really sure who it is. If you have more than like 100 people on your list, I'm like, I can figure out that. Like that's easy to do. Right. <laughs> What were some of the challenges that you faced along the way? Challenges along the way, oh man, there are so many of them. Uh, just when I would think that we've, we, we saw every issue that could possibly come up, another one would just come and slap you in the face. Um, I think the first one was really the logistical side of it. Like it, it was, it truly, when I say it's the hardest product to sell, other than maybe pools or hot tubs, there's not much else that you could sell online that's as challenging. So we had to make the buying process as easy as possible for the novice, but then also as quick as possible for the um, professional. So we ended up creating really three buying paths based off of what we call their skill level. It was the guys that knew nothing, the guys that watched DIY shows and thought they knew what they were doing, and then the professionals that knew what they were doing and just wanted to get through. Uh, so it was really, uh, I would say that was our, our biggest hurdle to overcome at first was creating a unique buying experience for everybody so that they, it, we didn't turn anybody away that you know, was a potential customer. Once we figured that out, it made everything a lot easier for us to, to talk to each of those different types of buyers. Mm. How many uh, SKUs did you guys have? Oh man, um, we were somewhere around 25,000, I think. Because wow. each cabinet line had several hundred pieces and then each accessory that went in them. So yeah, it was pretty complicated. Wow. Yeah. And I guess you had inventory management, I guess. I mean, that's, that's a whole other level. Then. Yeah, so that I would say was challenge number two was inventory management. Right. So my background was logistics. Uh, I worked in logistics for probably 10 or 11 years. So I thought I could figure it out myself. Uh, originally our model was a dropship model straight. Um, you know, we were using vendors 
are distributors all around the United States that can do this fulfillment for us. And being the entrepreneur, I'm like, man, we can make another 20, 30 points on this if we bring it all in ourselves. That was probably the first time that I almost put the company under because we went from uh, not having any inventory to suddenly having to carry, at one point we had up somewhere around four or five million dollars worth of inventory sitting in a warehouse. The complicated thing when you have that many SKUs is that you don't carry a lot of one particular SKU. So we could have one uh, apartment complex literally wipe us out of one or two SKUs. In, wow. And we're not, you, there's no way to predict that. So we, were, we had a really hard time trying to fa calculate our inventory. Uh, and at one point I just decided, you know, we had a model that was working and I tried to screw with it, let's go back to that. So we went back to a, a completely, uh, almost, I would say almost 95% dropship model. Uh, we would bring some of it into our warehouse just so that we can, you know, some of the more complicated stuff. But we went back to this dropship model, relied on the people that were really good at managing the inventory and let us be what we really were, which was marketers. Like let us drive the traffic, let us do all that stuff, customer service, but let them do all the fulfillment and we'll handle everything else. That makes sense. How many, um, I guess, how many employees did you guys have? Ironically, I was able to keep it pretty lean. Um, what I became really good at was outsourcing and figuring out like how to hire outside of the company um, and douse, down task some of the, the, the lower stuff. So at, I think at max, we had 18 people in the office, including some in the warehouse, and then we probably had another 20 that were outsourced. So for the size of the company, we're actually a fairly lean company. Awesome. Um, so I'd love to hear, you know, you sold a business, and I'd just love to hear your thought process behind that. I'm sure there's many people watching this that, you know, they, some people that go into this, I find, expecting or wanting to sell. That's a model for people. Others looking to do this long term. But I'd just love to hear, you know, what was your thought process around that? Was that your original plan, or did you just kind of get to a point where your values changed in your life, you want to do something different? Like, where Yeah, it's I crazy. When I started the company, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, when I started the company, it was really to pay off the people from the company that I filed bankruptcy on. Like my whole goal was like, if I could, it, it's funny to look back at it, my goal was if I can make 40, I think it was $40,000 a month in sales, I could pay everybody off in a year. Right. That's all I, I always focus on. Then I'm like, we hit that real quick. And I'm like, well, what if we did 100? And then I, yeah. you know, you just kept setting the bar a little bit higher and a little bit higher. Um, so I had no intention of building it to, to sell, which is when I got to the sales process, my accounting was a mess. Uh, you know, I was running it like a small business. I didn't, you know, I didn't go into it with the mentality of selling it. Um, so when I, the re reason I ended up selling it was after 11 years, uh, I really enjoyed the marketing side, but I did not enjoy the day-to-day -day operations. I was, I'm not an operations guy. Um, so I knew that I was kind of operating now in a place where it wasn't my skill set. I was, I was people managing versus actually doing marketing. Um, and I knew that I kind of capped out at where my skill set can keep the company growing. So I wanted to my intention was if I could sell it while it's still growing, I can pass off to somebody that can take it to the next level, but it's also on an uptrack anyways. Um, so I started the process. It took me almost two years for the sales process. Um, it was one of the most challenging things I've ever gone through because somebody's coming in from outside your company and they're basically ripping it apart to figure right. out what's wrong with it. Right. To lower the value. Yes, yeah, <laughs> to lower the value. Um, and as I had mentioned to you earlier, it's sort of a buyer's market. Um, unless you have like a really true brand that people are competing for, they hold most of the leverage. So what ends up happening is you sign these exclusivity contracts for whether it's three months or six months, you have to pull it off the market. You have to maintain that level of sales or grow it or else they can subtract money from you. Uh, so kind of, it, it's definitely in favor of the buyer. Um, I learned a lot about myself and a lot about how to run a business from yeah. going through it, because um, it'll teach you, you know, what people are looking for, how to do the books, uh, what's most important. Um, 
through the process, I think the smartest thing I did was that I actually worked myself out of a job. Because that's one of the things that they want to know is like, if you sell the business, is it going to go down because you're gone? So that would be my biggest tip to anybody that's looking to sell. Um, start working yourself out of a job. Make sure that anything that you're doing in the business is not pertinent to the fact that if you leave, it's gone. Uh, so that, that I had done. I worked myself out. Um, but yeah, it was a lengthy process. We went through two years, almost two years, five different buyers, um, ended up going with a PE firm who uh, you know, took it over. They had experience in the industry, ended up being a really good fit for them. Uh, I think it was a win-win for both parties. So um, yeah, I, you know, there was sort of a strategic buyer. Um, so that was, that was another good aspect of it. But I would just say uh, to anybody that's looking to sell, one of the other tips I'd give them is that you have to keep your, your, your head in the game because uh, the natural tendency, even if you get an offer, is to start thinking about what you're going to do next. Right. Yep. And that sale's not guaranteed. So it's, it's one of those things where you have, to, you have to keep on the grind and just assume that it's not going to go through, but you're hoping it does. Can't be too attached to it, I guess. Right? Yes. Uh, and emotions will get involved, and you have to sort of separate yourself from the emotions because uh, even if it is your baby, you still have to look at it from a, an outsider's perspective. Yeah. I'd love to touch a little bit on mindset because I think that's one of the most important things that being an entrepreneur, there's a certain mindset you gotta have, especially if you know, someone's just getting started, they're going from having a job to building their own business. But is there a certain mindset, level of belief, or certain things that have helped you get to where you are? You mentioned the failures that you've gone through. Is there a mindset that helped you overcome all those challenges and the failures everybody uh, tends to go through? Yeah, uh, the failure hit, hit me pretty hard because prior to that, um, you know, I, was, I had good grades at school, right. college athlete. You know, I had a really good job. Didn't really have to do this, but for some reason I did. So I, I took that pretty hard. Um, but I also think that showing me, like, to me, that was my rock bottom. Everybody has a different kind of threshold of what rock bottom is. But having hit that, it kind of gave me this mentality of that, okay, now that I know what that looks like and I'm going this way, I know there's a, va like there's, a, there's a gap there and I'll never get back there. Um, so that loss, I think, really did teach me a lot. Um, but that was sort of the mindset I had. I was just like, I just always kept that in my head of like, I know how I got to rock bottom. Uh, you know, I filed bankruptcy, literally had almost no money to my name other than a couple thousand dollars. And I was like, as long as I'm above that, I'm good. Yeah. And now I can just shoot this way. Maybe naive or whatever, but that was just my mentality of, like, of, of where I was at. Um, but running a business is challenging. Uh, you know, everybody has their own skill sets. Mine was marketing. Some people are really good operations people. Um, so stick with what you're good at. Like you, your natural tendency is to want to do everything, but you're never going to be able to good, be good at everything. So hire quick for people. You know, hire quickly for people that have different skill sets than you. That's not your your, your strong avenue. And focus on what you're really good at. Um, when I was able to do that, that's when we really scaled. Mm, love it. Uh, just a few more questions. I guess, what advice would you give to someone just getting started? You know, maybe they're looking at Amazon or people here at this event, but you know, they're looking to make a change in their life. They're looking to start a business. There's some fear. There's some uncertainty around it. Any advice that you'd give to someone in that position? I would say, A, don't, um, at least this is my mentality. Some people say go all in right away. Mine was always don't go all in until you can cover your, your income plus. Right. Keep uh, your job. Yeah, keep your job. Yeah. But you're also going to have to, it, you know, it's going to take, the grind. Um, you know, you, you have a tendency to see people on stage and everything where they, they reach a certain level. They're like, oh, I only work four hours a week. I only do all this stuff. If you really ask them what they did in the beginning, yeah, they were probably the working 80, yeah, 80 hours a week, sacrificing their ass off and everything. So, you know, in the beginning, you're, you're going to have to sacrifice something. It might be your free time, might be 
family time, whatever. But if this is really what you want to do, uh, you're going to have to give that sacrifice. But don't make the ultimate sacrifice. Give up your job and put yourself in a bad situation. Um, pace yourself. Um, you know, there's a million opportunities out there, and you can get distracted by you know Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, all these different avenues. Find one to start with and just work that. And focus on that, become good at it. Then once you're good at it, either hire somebody to run it and move on to something else, or start to move over. Uh, I think that's the biggest mistake that I see some people make is that they, they, you know, they know they can be everywhere, so they want to be everywhere. But you can't be everywhere and be good at everything unless you have support behind you. Yeah. So that would be my other advice is you know, find one avenue, whether it's Amazon, whether it's your blog, whether you know, it's even just Facebook ads, but whatever that is, focus on that, become really good at it, and then once you're good at it, move on to something else. Yeah, you know, often for me when I come to these events, like I, I know what my core skills are, and sometimes I'm sitting in a conference, I'm like, oh wow, I could do that, I could do that, I could do that, but I know that by me doing it, it's gonna take away from my strength and my yeah. core skill and, and the opportunity cost of that, and so I often think, okay, who could I hire or find that could just do that for exactly. me instead? Because I, you know, there's always that learning curve with anything new, whether it is it really Instagram is. or Facebook or SEO. So I think once you just find what your core strength is and you get really great at that, that's all you need to, you know, build a great seven-figure, eight-figure business, and then exactly. just build the right team around you. Um, and I just want to ask you about scaling because I know now you do some coaching, consulting for e-commerce business uh, sellers and businesses. What advice would you have for someone that's looking to scale their business? Maybe from six figures to seven or seven to eight? My, my first, so kind of when, when I walk through somebody through like the model that we do, first thing is look at what other, you know, understand the avatar of that customer. Um, you know, if you're on Amazon, really do a deep dive, pull those, that data off, append it with, you know, email information. There's plenty of platforms out there. You can do that. Really understand who they are and where they are so that you don't waste your time on other platforms where they may not be. Then pick one or two platforms, start dabbling on those, do small tests. You know, that's the great thing about marketing these days is that like Facebook, you can do a you know, $400, $500 test and get a general idea of whether it's going to be profitable for you or not. Whereas years ago, you can't do that. So do small tests, figure out the next platform, and start adding on multiple platforms. Um, you know, there, there's a couple different avenues that you can look at when you're trying to scale. It's you can add more products, you can add more platforms or more traffic flows. We try to do a little bit of everything. Um, but we, uh, Ryan Moran had a great one today. He was just like, don't just bring on a new product because you think it's going to win. Talk to the people that are already buying from you and find out what they want. Exactly. And when you do that, it makes life so much easier because you can bring on a product that you know somebody's already going to buy. You don't have that you know, out-of-pocket expense of bringing inventory and not being able to sell it. So uh, we look at lifetime value. So it's really three things. It's marketing, message, and monetization. Uh, message is who are you talking to, where are you talking to them on, and this is the right the message. Marketing is what platforms are you then advertising on and how are you getting to them. And the monetizations on the back end is how can we increase that lifetime value so that you're driving down your cost per acquisition and then creating this cycle of you know, better customers coming through, longer lifetime value, cheaper advertising costs. And when you do that, you start to create this almost like a cyclone of, of savings, if you want to call it, uh, which creates a lot of value. Um, a lot of the times when you're, when, at least through the buying process that I went through, uh, they wanted to make sure that the product, the, the uh, company was insulated. Uh, and when I say insulated, they want to make sure that there's no platform that can completely destroy it. Mm-hmm. So when we were, that was one of my goals from the beginning, we didn't have any traffic source that was more than 18% of our business. So even if Facebook shut us down tomorrow for whatever reason, it would hurt, but it wouldn't completely cripple the company. Right. Uh, so if you're solely on Amazon or you're solely on your website or you're relying strictly for Facebook for all your traffic, if any of those things change, you know how Amazon yeah, changes their yeah. terms of service, 
it can destroy you. So it's like, for me, it was always, let's get the profitable, let's figure out, you know, make sure that our, our margins are correct, and then how do we diversify enough and quickly enough so that that one traffic source is no longer our main traffic source. Yeah, Jay Abraham calls it building a Parthenon and not a one-legged stool. Yes. If you've got a one-legged stool, it's just Amazon, you're at the mercy of that, but if you have a Parthenon that has multiple pillars, you can remove one pillar, the structure still remains. So, exactly. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, listen, I want to say thank you so much, Matt, yeah, for taking the time. Me. Really appreciate it. How can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Yeah, if you want to, uh, on my website, GaryNeeland.com, um, I basically just do a brain dump. Uh, try to do it every week. Um, nothing to sell, literally just giving you any of the information that we learned over the last 11 years. Because uh, my goal is, if somebody can learn from me and just not make the same stupid mistakes that I made the last 11 years, I'm just, I'm just happy with that. So we get a lot of good feedback of people just saying thank you, you know, thanks for sharing this. Uh, we're literally not even trying to sell them anything. We're just like, take this, run with it. If it has a good impact on you, just let us know. I love it, awesome. So GaryNeeland.com, I'll link to that below. But hopefully you guys enjoyed this. I know I was inspired. I think a lot of people really enjoy this, be inspired by your story and what you've done. But uh, for those of you that are watching, if you enjoyed this, give us a thumbs up here on YouTube, subscribe for more videos, and we'll see you again in the next video. Take care. Thanks for joining me today and listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or received any value, then I'd love for you to leave an honest review on iTunes and subscribe to the Project Life Mastery podcast for future episodes. And of course, to receive more content and value, make sure to find and follow me at www.projectlifemastery.com for more. Thanks again. Remember to always believe and commit your life to mastery. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.